tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Crop Circles, Hit and Run in North Carolina, and A Novel Disappearance. Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Robert, Robbie, Robbie, Wobby, you had a uh, first-time experience this week that you were very excited to share with me. <laughs> um, uh, yes. Do you want to share it with the listeners as well, what, what it is that you did for the very first time in your mid-30s? This week, <laughs> I I rode the the public transit bus in a uh, metropolitan area. <laughs> um, so, how was your experience? What did you meet? Any interesting characters? Where did you go? You know, honestly, like it was not as um, the the characters were not, were not as bizarre as they are on like a Greyhound bus. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like there was a lot of people that are just like normal people trying to get, you know, to like Midtown or something. Ah, the old number 22. Clean, reliable public transportation. The chariot of the people. The ride of choice for the poor and very poor alike. Sure, some folks prefer. Uh, you getting on this next bus, kid? Yes. <whistles> Taxi! VD Clinic. Um, and then, yeah, so, and I, I, I was on that bus for like, uh, I, I took like three or four bus trips during the, the preceding week. Mm-hmm. And, um, let me tell you, like there, there was like, I just, I, I mostly enjoyed it because, uh, not only did it beat having to walk like two hours to get from like Meadowood mall to downtown Reno, mm-hmm. but also but I, I continually ran through my head and it was it was really hard to avoid turning to anyone I was seated near as soon as I sat down and saying, you know, quoting Mr. Burns from The Simpsons and saying, I'm riding the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember uh, what episode that was from? It was an early That's, one, right? Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's. Pre-suck era. Pre-suck. Okay. Yeah, it, it it's the episode where Mr. Burns loses all of his money. Okay. Uh, and he has to move in with Smithers, uh, and then subsequently in the episode he hires Lisa to oversee his business so that he can get his money back. Oh right. You know, and and she she's she finally agrees. She's like, okay, but nothing evil. And he's like, yes, yes. That's just the sort of radical thinking I need to get back on top. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. I, I think that's really interesting. I've only, I mean, I've lived in LA less than a year and I've had cause to take the bus a ton, 
but uh, uh, more than once. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. We also have a um, subway system here as well. What? Yeah. People don't, people don't like to talk about it, but we have a, a kind of limited subway system. So I've ridden the train like twice, and I've been on the bus more than that, but I don't know. That's more about like, it's too hard to park where I'm going, <laughs> so I'm just going to take a bus because I can't, I can't be, I just can't deal with that right now, so. Yeah, my, my situation is more just needing to get a new car. Yeah, well, you know, different strokes for different buses. Are you excited about this segment? I, I really am. I mean, mm. it's kind of, it was one of those ones that was kind of hard to watch, knowing that it is much less of a mystery than it was when they aired <laughs> the show. Um, but it was at least a very interesting study into sort of um, what happens when you release a bunch of information out and then you try and retract it. Yeah. Uh, you know, often... <clears throat> I think lately we've had, um, you know, sort of, I, the thing I would liken it to is a news story runs in like a major paper or network and then some more information comes out later and they try and retract it, but they kind of bury the retraction and it's, they've already convinced enough people of what the facts were and, and not enough people are going to see the retraction. So it's like once once you've mm -hmm. let that out of the box, once you've let information out of the box, you can't really take it back. And so that's what I thought this first segment was a really interesting example of. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, because it's kind of interesting because they have a... Um, I'm not sure if it's an... It's not really an update, but they have like a supplementary piece. They, they add on to the... Uh, to this segment and mm -hmm. it's i mean it's really extensive so it kind of feels like a mini follow-up segment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it really does kind of like they fess up to it not being real but they also bury it like you say in yeah. a lot of like countermandering uh position yeah this no this this was a really interesting segment like right from the beginning the the stack introduction like He's walking through and they have all these hanging pictures of crop circles. Mm -hmm. Oh, and this, this is, is a segment about crop circles. <laughs> uh, as opposed to being a, a, a segment about drunken people at a pub? Um, yeah. No, no. Oh, okay. Or, or were you going to say like crazy scientist type people? Well, it's really about a lot of things. But yeah, yeah. The, there, there's a lot the going main, on. The main thrust is about crop circles. Should we maybe talk about what crop circles are in case? Because this is kind of a bygone fad, I feel like. We don't see crop circles anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, for those millennials who don't know <laughs> what a crop circle is, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, various farmers found large sort of collections of circle designs and lines um, in their crops. Basically, like the, the plants had been pushed down to form circles and, you know, all sorts of patterns. Correct. Uh, it, and the, these were, uh, some people 
put forward the proposition that these were the work of extraterrestrials. Yeah. Who, I who, Yes. Well, I know, I was just going to say they they've they've got they went from being able to construct pyramids x number of thousands of years ago to like now they can really just sort of like push down like grown farm wheat yeah well i mean i was just saying to dave when we were watching the episode i'm like i feel like the venn diagram of people who think aliens built the pyramids and that aliens made crop circles is like a perfect circle (laughs) um because because these, I mean, these are actually very simple. They're large depressions in like wheat and cornfields, mm-hmm. and um, I think I think the mystery was coming from they coincidentally when they first appeared, and as the segment lets us know, they were within like a certain radius of Stonehenge in England, yeah. Um, yeah. which is a very rural area, uh, and they, they even gave us a map graphic of like the triangle that all of the um, crop circles have been found in. And Mm -hmm. it looks like if you were to drop a pin in the middle of that triangle, you'd probably have about a 20-minute drive from a small-town pub, but I don't want to give anything away. Um, (laughs) So, so yeah, so they they spend quite a bit of time. They interview um, a number of folks. They get... uh, a so-called scientist on, I don't, who were the other folks that they interviewed for the segment? I don't, I don't remember what their titles were. Well, they, they start out with a lot of um, local people involved in the agricultural industry. Like Mm -hmm. the sort of, I mean, this, this really isn't like detailing one specific thing, but they, they, the segment does start with like, they mentioned on like June 15th, 1986, a guy named Chris Wood or Chris Woods, who he was driving his tractor on his farm. And he comes across, you know, the uh, one of these crop circle things, and you know, he he's just like, uh, you know, totally not expecting this. He's just a guy who's trying to run his farm and take care of uh, both his children after his wife passed away, and his his brothers living with them, and uh, you know, it's, it's just. Uh, uh, you know, like he, he's thrust into this sort of bizarre situation. And what I noticed with him and subsequently with many of these, you know, eyewitnesses or people who come across them mm-hmm. is that they're very English about it. <laughs> like, what do you mean? like when they start talking about like crazy stuff, they, they sound very apologetic that they're having to like talk about this crazy stuff to us. Like he, he seemed, you know, he, he seemed you know, he seemed very uh, just embarrassed that he had to, to, to waste our time with, with, with this, you know, sort of thing. And, like, later on when they mentioned the couple that allegedly see a UFO or something, like, apparently in their recounting of the incident, they're kind of, like, apologetic to each other that they saw the, this this UFO and they have to actually talk about it. So I hope that made sense. Um. Yeah, no, they. I, I think there's a... A general aversion to speaking nonsense. Yeah. Um, or rocking the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but then at some point we get like some scientist guy, right? Yeah. Well, I, multiple. I didn't. I didn't write down all their names because there were so many, just so many. Um, 
there was the guy with sort of like a, what, sort of glasses and a balding head and a little mm-hmm. bit of long, longish hair in the back, right? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, the only name I put down was Pat Delgado, and I only really made a note about him because they did mention that he wrote a book. But I was impressed that Unsolved Mysteries didn't like then spend several minutes <laughs> lingering on this book or like giving us a you know shot of its cover or something. Uh, but still, you know, those those guys selling the books about UFOs are still worming their way into the program. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like it was uh, as egregious. Oh yeah, as, yeah, no. as, as it has been in the past. But um... yeah, this this was no time lapse anything. Uh, but this Pat Delgado guy was definitely like if you put these scientisty type people on a spectrum, he and and they do have a pretty wide spectrum because it seems like some of the scientists they talk to are at least pretty empirical. Like they, you know, they want to set up stuff and they want evidence and whatnot. But this Pat Delgado guy, I think he was one of the ones who was on the opposite end, exact opposite end of the spectrum, which was just like, yeah, there has to be something supernatural going on here. It's like, okay. Well. But, but it could just be a normal explanation, right? It's supernatural. Yeah, I really um, enjoyed the amount of rigor that they seem to apply in trying to analyze what was going on with these crop circles. So they got the, some folks from the military out there at some point. Right, right. They were uh, trying to, uh, to create a crop circle themselves. And, so. um, I really enjoyed the reenactment where they're out there with like a tape measure and a bunch of confused looks on their faces. Like, <laughs> I don't know, Bill, how did they make these things? Um, and then unsolved mysteries is like, even the military couldn't figure it out. I'm like, okay, <laughs> Um, and then they went out there with like a, like a high, uh, sensitivity, like sound recorder. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they picked up some frequencies, I think that were uh, stood out from the sort of ambient noise of the field when they were in the crop circle. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly there was, there was something like some noise, like if you're standing in the crop circle, you'd pick something up. Right. But it wasn't something they could hear with their, just their ears. Right. It was just something the mic no. was picking up. So what, what, one of, one of the guys out there did say that he felt something every time he walked oh, into a certain yeah, area. Okay. Well, there's but. <laughs> the all important feelings metrics. Uh, and then finally, um, they actually took some samples from wheat from just at the same field just outside the circle, and then wheat from the depressed part of the circle. And there was a difference in the um, crystal formation? Yeah. So the outside of the circle, it was sort of like erratic, loosely formed crystals and under microscope. This is under microscope. Okay. And then... In the circle, they saw that the depressed wheat had very tightly formed circles. Or not circles, I'm sorry, crystals. Yes. Um, and I was thinking, well, wouldn't that just be because those pieces of wheat had been compressed? So the crystal, <laughs> like the actual structure of the wheat, those crystals would just be more smushed together. <laughs> 
Um, That's an interesting notion, Crystal. Um, and then Dave said, Dave said, well, maybe it's because they're depressed. You know, they start to dry out. So the water is, as, as it shrinks because it's losing water, yeah, the crystals in the structure of the wheat would be more close together. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I... I, I definitely fall on the spectrum that there's some sort of rational explanation for these uh crystal situations um uh certainly like um uh you know it it's it is like interesting to see because they set a thing up where they tried to watch some fields for mm -hmm. like eight days and nights right mm -hmm. Which yeah. I kind of like. I mean, I like that. I like that you're 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 trying to actually observe something, but of course nothing happened. Uh, which well, I suspect... that's wait wait wait. They actually said four new circles appeared in front of the monitoring equipment. Oh well, that that was yeah. In in, in the later. Oh thing sorry, we're not said... on the addendum. Oh sorry, I, okay. I was talking about no 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 no. I mean you you yeah like. In, in the addendum, yeah, they they set, they did another thing where they set up some stuff and they were recording and some circles appeared. Uh, but uh, the, apparently that at the time of the recording of the episode, that tape was under review, so they couldn't mm. show us anything. Right, right. That was the, anal the analysis they were conducting. Yeah. Um, well, they kind of leave it off with, I, I think it's this Dr. Delgado, I might be wrong, saying this is an intriguing and entertaining mystery. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, someone said that. And definitely, like, I guess it is kind of entertaining. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, I, I, for one, uh, just, you know, I couldn't get out of my head that like, I think at the very beginning of the 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 segment, Robert Stack mentioned something about whirlwinds. What? And yeah, yeah, like you know, um, I think in the intro, I think believe it was in the intro, Robert Stack was like, yeah, you know, no one knows what these could be. Uh, uh, they might might you know they might even be whirlwinds or something. And I was like, whirlwinds, really? Hmm. Yeah, I think some of the other theories they were floating besides like little tornadoes was uh was helicopters. Helicopters? That seems that seems a little more reasonable to to mm -hmm. me because like at least a helicopter can deliberately go around trying to like make stuff rather than just uh you know, <laughs> mystery whirlwinds. Didn't someone also say like someone had put forth the proposition that like Hundreds of hedgehogs were going around what? in circles. What? I you don't remember that? that. No, I didn't remember that. Oh my god! One of the sciency type people said, "Like, well, there's some things we can just discount out of hand, like this notion that hundreds of hedgehogs are going around in circles." <laughs> I, I I noticed that because I'd never heard you know a proposition like that before. That is wild. I somehow completely missed that. We get a discussion of what crop circles are. Um, mm -hmm. And the first section and what's going on in England, because that's where they most prolifically and first appeared was around Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I did want to mention before we move on is that uh, one of the historians or scientists suggest was questioning how long these have been happening. And that perhaps during Neolithic times when Stonehenge was constructed, 
that these Neolithic farmers had noticed these circles appearing. And um, they were inspired. And they were inspired to build their own stone concentric circles nearby. Of course. Um, so there's that theory. <laughs> Even though prior to the 1980s, no one in written history had seen a crop circle. Well, regarding this explosion of crop circles, yes. what seems more likely, Crystal, that like... There's just an increase in UFO activity or that people are just seeing this on TV and deciding to copycat it. Um, definitely an explosion in UFO activity. <laughs> no question. No question. An explosion in UFO activity that seems to be only in English speaking countries such as England, the United States, Australia, Canada. Co and, and that's entirely coincidental that those would have been the countries where news reports or documentaries about crop circles would have been the most readily accessible. Yeah, to a total coincidence, because clearly UFO aliens are only concerned with communicating their intent to English-speaking nations. Well, yeah, I mean, if you were an alien, like, wouldn't you want to, like, communicate with whoever's in charge <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ if, if, if it was the 1500s they would have been interested in communicating with mandarin speaking places sure yeah um moving right God along damn it <laughs> uh moving right along let's talk about so there's, so all of a sudden so we go to commercial break after that whole first part about talking about what are crop circles and 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 focusing only on england we come back and there's this sort of addendum where robert stack opens up by saying there's been over 500 new circles that have been documented in the u.s and england since that first segment aired or since the first news report started coming out yeah um, and, and what's really notable about these is the designs start getting more complicated. So straight lines and angular patterns are being added to, um, added to these circular designs. Maybe we could even put something up on Twitter. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cause I feel like it's sort of like a given that you and I know what crop circles are cause that was of our generation. But I think maybe like younger folks or maybe listeners that weren't in English speaking countries while this is going on, since it's such a fad that's gone by the wayside, maybe we could put some like pictures up of what these things are. Um, you hear that people in the central district of Hong Kong, <laughs> we're going to put that picture up just for you. <laughs> um, although I imagine they could just go fuck off and watch the episode of unsolved mysteries like we did, but yeah, what the, what's the fun in that really? Um, no. So in the second um, so, the, so the argument being now, like, these designs are getting too complicated for humans to have made. Even though they're not, really, at all. Mm -hmm. And so this really kind of, like, was what made me say, you know, these have got to be the same people that are looking at the pyramids and being like, no way people could have built that. People aren't that smart. And then I'm like, well, people built the Hoover Dam <laughs> at this point in history, you know? People are are pretty smart and they're pretty ingenious. I mean, they figured out how to like divert water for irrigation. Yeah, yeah. I'm fairly certain they could figure out how to depress wheat to make a design in a field. <laughs> 
I think that's something they could just come up with. The penultimate achievement for any civilization. Once you've mastered flight, computers, uh, you know, space travel, all but that. These have got to be the up. same people too who think we never went to the moon. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that is all one. One overlapping crop circle Venn diagram of people who think people that other people are just because they are not that smart to come up with these things that clearly other people could never imagine. Well, that makes sense. Like you have the rationale that people in the, you know, 2000 years ago were just stupid and, you know, there's no way they could have built any of this. But, you know, and that's so funny. Like you think about the people who are like, oh, aliens must have built the pyramids. Like, you don't hear people talk about, like, oh, aliens must have built the Colosseum in Rome. I mean, like, people in the ancient yeah. world could build big things. They could, but they also could build and do small things, like make crop circles. Yeah. But they yeah. didn't. They didn't. Because we, <laughs> we will find out soon who who were the first folks to take it upon themselves. Lino Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, spoiler. Um... So, yeah, that's basically it. And it's just a, a lot of talking heads just marveling at, like, who could have done it? It must be extraterrestrials. Well, and yeah, though, though, actually, I mean, these guys in these, this segment, they're way above, like, the ancient aliens people. Are they? Like, Isn't the ancient aliens guy with the crazy hair a doctor of something from some university? Yeah, but I feel like these guys aren't degrading themselves as much. Like, because there's still, there's like a lot of them who are like, at least acknowledging it could be something else, even if they, you know, obviously don't want to believe that. I I don't know. Maybe just because they have English accents, I, I'm lured in. Yeah, I think you might be deferring to their authority. I, and I also think it's probably just because the style of television on Unsolved Mysteries is a lot less sensational than like anything that's on the History Channel now. So Seriously. If they had been given the like proper, or, or Twitter, you know, if they yeah. had been given the proper form, then I'm sure they would have been as just as outlandish as any of these conspiracy oh theorists that's... with an ounce of authority now, so... That's depressing. Well, you know, people suck. So, yeah. do you want to talk about the, like, if if at this point you've been watching Unsolved Mysteries and you're like, whoa, this crop circle thing, this is wild. This is crazy. I, as a person in 2018, I'm, I'm going to get online. I want to learn more about this. Why have I never heard about this before? Um, mm -hmm. And then you go to the kitchen to get a snack. You may have missed the update. <laughs> which is just the white text over a picture of the crop circles at the end of this half an hour segment. And so Robbie, we discover that like some guys actually came forward and admitted to making these crop circles. Yeah. There are a couple of guys in Northern England. Some good old boys got drunk at a pub. And, oh, and then they decided to go out and make some crop circles. Um, what isn't but, it? Yes, please go ahead. Oh, I, I think maybe you're about to say what I was going to mention. Oh, well, what I was going to say, what isn't included in our <laughs> our brief little update is that um, I think it was the BBC some years later went and interviewed these guys. And these guys 
completely laid out how they did it and they were able to recreate for the cameras how to make a crop circle. And it is, it is so simple. It'll blow your mind. (laughs) (laughs) How simple is it, Crystal? Well, basically what they did was they got a large plank or a board, um, and they tied a rope, uh, to each end of it as handles. And they just walked around in a circle, stamping the board down with their feet until all the wheat was depressed and they, they made a circle just walking around with this large board. I think part of the reason that um, all these scientists, what evaded them is yes, without the board, it would take uh, a couple of people, several, several hours to manually with their feet tamp down all this wheat, but their radius was improved by using these long boards Ah, yes, yes. And I assume anyone who saw these news reports in the United States, Canada, whatever, you know, you're on a farm, you're a kid, whatever, you're out in rural North America or Australia, you're like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't take a genius to figure out what happened here. (laughs) And so I think the, the prank was elevated because, you know, you get enough bored people sitting around, they're like, oh, they probably just took a board and tamped it down. (laughs) <laughs> in a circle, and then people started getting more creative with it, and that's where you get these like pictographs in some American fields, and then eventually you get the movie signs. Yeah, I, you know, what's so funny is just when you just said it doesn't take a genius to figure this out, and I, my mind immediately went to the part in the segment where Pat Delgado and Colin Andrews. We're hovering over a computer monitor, entering in all this data with these two (laughs) trying. It's well, as it turns out, all you need is uh, enough beer and a board with a long rope, and you too can be a crop circle artist. (laughs) But was it really those guys? Well, is that what is that what you think? Yeah, of course, I think that's what happened. <laughs> um, Unsolved Mysteries, though, they give the update saying, you know, a couple of intoxicated uh, guys said that they did it. But then they give... They leave the door really, open here. Yeah, yeah, because what's really rare is we get, like, a counter-update text thing where the, you know, the crop circle believers sort of have their last word in and are like, well, we don't think that they could possibly, these two guys could possibly be doing it all. Well, they didn't do it all. They did it first. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other people were able to figure out from looking at it, what it is they had done. Yeah. So, I mean, I, what I, I really like about this segment, it is a classic example of sort of a conspiracy Mm-hmm. Well, this isn't really conspiracy, but they're po- they're sort of alluding to a paranormal explanation. Yeah, and this community develops around trying to explain what's going on. And and I remember being alive during this time. This was a genuine mystery, and it was very exciting. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm not neat. trying to like go back and like you know with hindsight now that I know what's happened and say this wasn't truly. Uh, intriguing at the time. It it really was. We had no idea what was going on. And all of a sudden they started popping up what looked like randomly all over the world, but really they weren't that random. They were just in like 
English speaking countries. So Shepherd um, Field. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I, and then I imagine if I were to go online now, I could probably find some examples of it like happening in Afghanistan or whatever. But it's also because like now those countries have been exposed to this idea. Mm-hmm. And then you get a couple of wise guys with enough time on their hands and they're going to go out and make some crop circles. So, um, but yeah, I like signs. That movie scared the shit out of me. Oh gosh. Yeah, totally. It was terrifying. Like, I mean, say what you will about the insane man that M night Shyamalan became, but like that, like he, he made a movie that, cause I saw it in the theater. Oh, and so it, did I. Yeah. It had my heart pounding. Cause yeah. I, I think, I think he's just, he was really good at tension and stuff because yeah. like when he has Mel Gibson go out into the cornfield at mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. and as soon as he reaches the circle, like he realizes what a horrible mistake he's just made. <laughs> and we realize what a horrible mistake he's just made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They- they do yeah. some, he does some interesting M. Night Shalaman. M. Night Shalaman. Is that yeah. it? I think I added some extra syllables. That's, <laughs> um, that's okay. I'm sure he's used to it. Uh, he did some really interesting stuff too with uh, looking at news reports from all over the world. I remember there's a specific, I won't, because if you haven't seen the movie, please go watch the movie. It's actually a really decent horror film, I think. Mm-hmm. Even though I've just told you that um, crop circles are, are made by people. So like go into the movie knowing but the, that it's fine. <laughs> but um, they're going to think that it, the, the twist, that's going to be the twist. And then they're <laughs> going to be surprised. Um, but yeah, it's uh, they do some, he does some interesting stuff with showing news reports from all over the world. And there's a specific scene from a birthday party in Brazil, which yeah. haunts me to this day. Oh man. Yeah. That, that is. Yeah. I, that, that, Oh yeah, no, totally. That movie gave me I saw that movie knowing crop circles were made by people and it gave me nightmares for weeks. So it's a good one. Go watch. If you, if you want to have fun with crop circles, please go watch signs. Um, sorry. I spoiled, we've spoiled the mystery for you here. <laughs> uh, of what crop circles really are, but it, it certainly was a, a phenomenon that seemed, uh, you know, we didn't have an explanation for then a lot of mystery and wonder has gone out of the world. And so you sound kind of sad. I am. I'm a little wistful for, Mm. for the time that the, you know, the X-Files arose out of. Well, at least you still have your, uh, what what were they? Ghost lights and the Marfa ghost lights, the Martha Uh, ghost lights. I still don't know what those are to this day. So please go to Marfa, Texas. If you want to try it in true mystery, we don't, we have no idea what those are. So, um, Reenacted at Unsolved Mysteries podcast is, of course, uh, supported by the Martha <laughs> Martha Texas Tourism Bureau. Yeah, yeah. Please stop by the uh, Highway 14 um, Marfa Lights gift shop on your way out of town. Be sure to mention our podcast when you buy stuff from them. Yeah, you'll get a ten percent discount. <laughs> At the store that I just made up. Great, great. That was, this was good fun. I liked this. I liked this segment a lot. I was looking forward to talking about it, so...
So do you want to talk about roadside homicide? Yeah, let's talk about a bunch of teens being um, cut short in their prime because of some racist. Uh, So segment two, unexplained death um, around uh, Christmas time in 1988 and near Greensboro, North Carolina, um, which is a, as we understand it, a nice middle class town in, in North Carolina. I'm curious, is like the the sort of depiction they give is that for and this is probably I guess probably for our North Carolina listeners is that what Christmas time usually looks like in your state <laughs> because it looks pretty spring like to me uh, yeah tweet at us yeah uh, the, I I mean I understand that like tr- you can't just create snow for this segment yeah but I mean maybe it was a warm winter or whatnot but honestly like. If they hadn't mentioned that this was December 23rd, I yeah. would not have guessed. Well, the trees looked kind of bare, I guess. Oh, uh, okay. All right. They probably filmed this in California, dude. Like, let's not... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> this might not have been, like, one of the ones where they sent the producers out to North Carolina, but... So- sorry, I didn't mean to nitpick. No, it's uh, it's quite all right. We, there's plenty to nitpick in this segment. Um, So, four friends, I think they're all... Seniors in high school are recently graduated. Um, they get in the car to go do whatever it is that teens do. I don't know why. What they're maybe they're going to the mall. I don't know. Christmas shopping. They were going Christmas shopping. Um, yeah. Did they say actually? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Like they they because before I did a rewatch of the episode and mm-hmm. caught the actual date, they mentioned that like. That this was uh, like last minute Christmas shopping. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And, and, and I think that's part of what fed into my like Christmas shopping. What, what are they doing? Their Christmas shopping in March or something? You know, it's weird that they didn't try to shoehorn this under their so called Christmas <laughs> Christmas episode, episode. A, couple of, a couple of episodes back. Um, yeah, this this has an explicit mention of Christmas. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so they're driving down the highway, and. Uh, Robert Stack comes up and he's like, you know, we have a story about a hit and run that, um, killed one young, I mean, we get this right at the top. Stack says killed one young man and, and permanently disabled another. Um, was it racism? Because all of, uh, the four young men and the car that was driven off the road were black and the driver who did it was white. And I was like, unsolved mysteries, let me save you your breath, <laughs> because the answer is yes. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the odds are pretty good, especially considering all the subsequent evidence we right. then get handed. Right, right. So um, so Stack's like, well, regardless of why this person did it, the police are very interesting in finding who did. And Which, which yes. are they? Because that con- kind of gets contradicted later in the segment, but I guess we'll, we'll talk about that. I, I don't know. I feel like, and well, I mean, they give us some interesting bits in this segment, but I feel like a lot kind of gets glossed over. But um, yeah, they really rushed through this. Yeah, one. I think because they had a lot of crop circle talk. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, clearly. And, they, and then after this, they have to give us our fourteenth update on Sharon Stevens and her <laughs> foster parents from the nineteen fifties. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that update now seriously like six times, like in every episode since it first aired. Um, Anyway, that, that, that same here. Uh, 
so so these so these young men are driving just doing whatever it is that teens do in a car down the highway nothing spectacular um there's a eyewitness named grady alexander who describes mm -hmm. having driven by the kids and seeing that you know they were just goofing around in the car um not but not doing anything strange and then he also describes yeah. seeing a blue monte carlo with uh georgia plates start getting very close in tailgating the black car mm -hmm. that the kids were in and then gary drops the other r word uh recycling no he says that the driver of the blue monte carlo was clearly a redneck from georgia oh yes 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 uh <laughs> right well yeah they really rednecked that driver up oh like, yeah well they he, put he looks, a, the, the wig the guy, that they put it on this guy is like he looks ridiculous. like joe dirt yeah he absolutely <laughs> looks like joe dirt so the reenactment happens um just as the the surviving kids in the car had described it this this blue monte carlo starts tailgating them really hard um starts bumping into the car trying to get them to drive off the road um there's mm -hmm. also apparently a woman in the car that we can see right um so they get driven the, yes the, the kids in the car like one of them described the guy like having this facial expression like just absolute rage like, yeah, like, like, I mean, like, like he, like he personally hated them, which I think probably, you know, helps uh, uh, vouch for the the racism um, motivation. Yeah. Um, so they get driven off the road in a very spectacular crash. Yeah. I mean, it's so, like yes. No, yeah. No, the crash is amazing. Like the crash they shot. Mm -hmm. But does it? I don't know about you. Did it seem like the audio track was from something completely different it felt very dukes of hazard <laughs> it, it was like the most generic audio track of a car crash that you would play on the television show yeah. i think there was an explosion sound when there was no explosion show <laughs> yeah uh, but the crash yeah. crash by I, I am impressed by the crash scene they did uh, uh they they put together i mean it's it's probably been their best fx work since the exploding church definitely well and it was as much overkill i think <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah um so the, yeah the car goes off the road um goes into a ditch but it flips a couple of times all the windows are blown out um it takes i think 30 minutes uh well there's there's people on the scene immediately because it was on a it was on i-40 so it was a busy right interstate and it um this there, wasn't like that poor woman who got shot no, in the car. <laughs> no, there were people on the scene immediately, like trying to help and calling nine one one. But you know, we didn't have cell phones back then, so it takes like thirty minutes for for all the emergency services to get there. Um, mm -hmm. They're able. They're sh the reenactment is really sad. It's showing all these guys like laid out in the field, and they're trying to ask them what their name is and see if they're conscious. Uh, unfortunately, one of them was pronounced dead on the scene. That was uh, Ken Dun Dungy? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, another one was airlifted out, and he his leg was broken so badly that it had to be amputated. Mm. Um, 
two on, and then the other two guys had pretty severe injuries as well, but both those three guys survived. And I think two of them, or two or three of them were interviewed for the segment. Yes. Yes. Is it all three and, of them? Um, God, I can't remember. Uh, like, well, the thing that really stood out to my mind, um, one of the interviewees talked about, um, how he knew the what of ha- you know the incident and the how of the incident mm-hmm. but what what not at him was he didn't know the why yeah. of the incident it i as i imagine it would why would someone do that yeah and when you haven't you don't know this person you haven't offended them in any way that, uh, did you did you find do you find it a little disturbing that the police were reluctant to investigate it as a crime and were kind of like, well, yeah. we don't know if this was just an accident. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that's wild about it is because there was, there was a plethora of eyewitnesses mm-hmm. that came forward and said, Hey, after this car went off the road, we saw the blue Monte Carlo stop. And then in the reenactment, they show the police interviewing the eyewitnesses. They saw the Blue yeah. Monte Carlo stop. They saw a man and a woman. Um, the man was just as the guys in the car had described, as had um, Grady Alexander. He had, mm-hmm. you know, he was white. He had stringy hair. Um, the eyewitnesses mentioned that when they got out of the car, they were laughing. Yeah. That was a very disturbing detail. And then... Um, there's a bit of a reenactment where they show whoever these perpetrators are like kind of being like, Oh my God, what do we do? And then, and they just get in the car and drive away. Mm -hmm. So there, that's, what's interesting is that the cops didn't want to investigate it as a crime, but you have all these eyewitnesses saying not only were they driven off the road intentionally, (laughs) they, uh, this car stopped, reacted and then drove away without helping. Yeah. So if they hadn't been involved in some way, why would they have just driven away? Right. Exactly. Oh God. Yeah. This, this, this is a terrible, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause this, this, this clearly was, was, you know, if not meant as a murder, this was meant as some sort of physical attack. This wasn't yeah. just like a veterinarian falling asleep at the wheel and crashing into them yeah. uh, late at night or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, and it's and and what peeves me is all three guys who survived the crash, they concurred that's exactly what had happened, as they did with the eyewitnesses. Yeah. But apparently, their say wasn't good enough. Yeah, I, I don't get this because it's like it's not just that like this isn't just a matter of the police being like oh well you know of not like believing the the victims because they were black, but. In, in the reenactment, we have two clearly white truck driver guys yeah. wearing truck driver hats who are va- saying the same story, and well, they're, they're yeah. also, yeah. And we have yeah. and we have Grady Alexander, who clearly is a country club member, saying mm-hmm. the same thing. So, we, we got, what else do you here? We got every segment of, of society. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's... No, yeah. It's it's frustrating, and it's it's just like. It's doubly frustrating, like, like, it's doubly, like, I, like, cause I believe the, uh, the one victim who ha- suffered an yeah. amputation, he had a scholarship to the Air Force Academy coming yeah. up, right? Well, literally the story was like all of these guys had like 
were had got they were going to college in either prestigious schools or had gotten scholarships, and then the one guy who was still in high school was like a star athlete. Yeah, yeah, they 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 all had like you know uh, great things going on in their lives, and some jerk off who probably you know is is just like a complete failure at life, just like runs them off the road. Yeah. It's well, completely uh, you know, shitty. Frankly, I'm surprised the cops didn't try to plant some weed in the kid's car. <laughs> Blame it on them. But <laughs> Oh, is that too real for you guys? Ooh. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well gosh, yeah, no, I just read about that. Yeah. Uh, well like... to to recap, um for our international listeners uh yeah there was a a fellow who was uh murdered in his own home because a police officer thought it was her apartment and then uh this oh this happened last week not in the 80s um and then there was and the police officer thought it was her apartment and shot the guy for thinking he was in the wrong apartment Mm-hmm. And there was a news report that came out yesterday with the police trying to say, "Oh, this guy had weed in his apartment," as <laughs> as if that's some kind of justification for murdering someone in their own home. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the the cop is being charged with manslaughter, but um, the way that this is being covered and handled by the police department is once again very questionable, and mm-hmm. probably doesn't make black people in this country feel very safe now anywhere because you can't be on the highway and you can't be in your own home and you can't be barbecuing and you can't be what what else can't they do now oh just Uh, minding minding their own damn business and going about their lives so right right yeah yeah. pretty much everything yeah um you can't or any everything and anything uh Yeah. yeah so that was for the benefit of our international listeners just in case you wonder why i might sound a little upset when we uh, talk about these things. So there's no update on this segment because of course. <laughs> yeah, that's depressing. Oh, uh, I hate it. it. It was an interesting segment. It was, uh, it was. I'm, I'm glad that unsolved mysteries did the segment that they did. Um, but now we... I don't know about you, but this is something I noticed. Huh. Um, did it seem to you that they had Every everyone in the car dressed up in the same Doctor Huxtable sweater st- type of sweater. <laughs> was They're it everyone? Wearing... I don't remember that. I remember like a couple of guys just wearing like sweatshirts and stuff. They were. I, I thought I saw people wearing sweaters, which I like. Back when um, I was was confused about when the segment was supposed to take place, so like. You know, and then because I felt they were sort of pushing this Christmas narrative on me. Yeah. Uh, and like, oh, so they're having them wear the sweaters, so it looks like it's winter. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, that was a like legitimate choice for fashion. <laughs> All right. Well, Robbie, this last segment is very mysterious. Ooh yes, like it's interesting. It's it's a disappearance segment, um, but it's kind of interesting because we have a double disappearance of people, not only under the same circumstances and in the same location, but with a sort of weird connection to each other. Um, 
basically, uh, we this takes us to the town of. Uh, actually, I don't think it's even a town. It's the village of Silver Plume, Colorado. Uh, what was the population like? A hundred and thirty. Yeah, it's a very yeah. tiny town. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this takes us back. All these segments, I think, are from the late eighties. Because uh, this this is a uh, they they mentioned the disappearance of a guy named Tom Young, uh, who disappeared on September seventh, nineteen eighty seven. He was leaving his, I think it was a bookshop when he owned it, right? Yeah, the first um, guy had a bookshop. Yeah, he was leaving the bookshop with his dog and disappeared. Um, and then, like, this brings us to our, I guess, our, our mystery, which is a year, about a year later, a guy named Keith Reinhardt? Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, and, yeah. This, and this guy is a dead ringer for Sam Elliott. Oh, that's who it was. Gosh, I I kept watching this segment. I was like, who is, you're right. And I, how great would it have been if they had actually gotten Sam Elliott to do the reenactment? I'm sure Sam Elliott was very busy filming Roadhouse at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Where Roadhouse was being filmed in, uh, at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That that seems about right. But yeah, think totally just picture like, this this guy was really handsome. He's like kind of got like a gray haired like hippie vibe going on. Yeah, yeah. He's you know it's it's that sort of confluence of like laid back, uh, you know the sort of laid backness you'd get with like a hippie, but also with like a Mountain West uh, sensibility. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And but the thing, uh, despite as badass as he is, looking like Sam Elliott, less than a year later he disappears uh, uh, from the same town under very similar situations. He's closing up his antique shop for the day, goes tells some people he's going hiking and disappears as well. Um, so that this is the sort of lead-in we get with the segment. And as we'll learn, there's there's a there's a bit of a connection between them. Um, Keith Reinhard was on sabbatical when he was in Silver Plume, right? Uh, from he wasn't a professor. What was he? Um, he was a sports writer from suburban Chicago. Oh, sports writer from suburban. So this is sort of like a, sort of like a serious version of the movie Funny Farm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he he opens up the the the, the antique shop, and I you know he has this what yeah like he, he has sort of multiple things going on. He wants to get some mountain climbing in to help him get over his fear of heights. He wants to write a novel. Um, I mean, it's 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 all the it's the same basket of things that any some any guy from like a major city is going to have when they move out to rural Colorado. And, um, what we get is over the course of this, this segment is that Keith begins to develop this, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if obsession is the right word, but fascination with the Tom Young case. Um, yeah, and I, I think probably a lot of that has to do with him, like, occupying, like, the occupying same space. the same space uh, as Tom Young uh, uh, had. 
Hey, Robbie, and, have you ever yeah. had uh, Tom Young soup? No, 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 Tom Yum soup. So, uh, yeah, I mean, close enough. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a dish here that is uh, sort of orange. Yeah. Oranges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do see shrimp. I mm-hmm. see some leaves. Yep. Um, it is, uh, so it's a, it's a Thai dish. Yeah. Mmm. Yeah. Man. Delicious, delicious Tom Yum soup. Here's my order if I'm not getting Tom Young soup. Yeah. Um, I'm getting a papaya salad. Huh. Okay. But yeah. because I'm gross, I'm also getting some kind of shrimp or crab rangoon situation. Okay. And that's the little wontons that they fill with like fake or real seafood and green onion and cream cheese and they deep fry it. Oh yeah, no, no. Like my my standard go to uh-huh. was uh, I'd order up a plate of those at least like four. Did did they come in a permutation of four? Uh, yeah, I think it was more than that. It okay, might have been more than four, but yeah. Then then I would have ordered more, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> uh, and and then uh, usually it was like you know the red curry or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't really go in for the Thai curries too much. They're a little sweet for me. But Yeah, I'm, no, I can I can understand that. But they I'm all pretty... about, like, the noodle dishes and the salads. I like the, uh-huh. the larb, and I, I love a good papaya salad, especially you have that, like, sour acidic with the really rich creaminess of the crab. I'm, you yes. know, I'm definitely getting Thai food after this. <laughs> oh, God, there's no Thai place in Dayton. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm um, sorry. Sh- oh man, I'm so hungry for Thai now. Oh, do we should we been, just like stop recording and? You've been listening to Crystal and Robert's Thai talk. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was this segment about that we were talking about? Oh, I I feel kind of sorry because poor Keith Reinhardt's story has oh, digressed yes. into a, a Thai, and it, it's really not an uninteresting story too. It's actually one of the more fascinating spec. Uh, segments as far as i'm concerned uh yeah he developed this interest in this tom young uh person who occupied the same store spot um as him and keith began writing his novel um and then it he sort of it was i guess a, a novel that was combining the story of tom young with keith's own experiences and he melded them together in a character called guy gypsum yeah i feel like maybe what was happening with keith is he was kind of like like uh getting overlooked hoteled from the shining (laughs) (laughs) there there's definitely like this weird aspect of like and they don't really show it too much in the reenactments, but you get a definite feel for it that he's having some sort of weird thing going on in his mind. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, uh, the, the overlook analogy is perfect. Like, yeah. Except they're, they're, it's this tiny little shop. This tiny little shop. Uh, this, <laughs> I, I almost, uh, uh, I almost want to like. I know we, we've already mentioned several locations we're gonna visit for mm-hmm. Rumpcon or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but I kind of I kind of feel like I wanna like visit this shop for, for this podcast at, at some point. Oh, yeah, um, I wonder if I wonder if this town still exists. 
It does. I looked it up. Oh, really? Where where yeah. is it located? Like in relation to maybe like a, another bigger city in Colorado? It's. It looks to me like it's going to be north of uh, Denver area. Okay. Like I mean, it, it seems like I mean it, it's probably probably as accessible from Denver as um, Yearington or Fallon is from Fallon is from Reno. Um. So we'll say Los Angeles to Riverside. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, but but yeah, it looks like it might looks like it might be like an hour and a half drive. Okay, which which you know, considering like I'm the kind of guy who'll drive an hour and a half just to like buy some weird novelty food. Uh, Keith, in the progression of writing this novel, may or may not have been suffering from some sort of midlife crisis, having like weird things going on in his life. And it all leads up to this point on August 7th, so not quite a month um, after Tom Young disappears. Uh, Keith closes up his shop, and he goes around telling, like, literally everyone well, he crossed... It's not after Tom Young disappears, it's after his body is found. Well, oh, gosh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Well, I was going to sort of mention that in, in the context of the newspaper they later find. Mm-hmm. But yes, Tom Young's body is found, so his disappearance is solved. And, like, they find his body, and both him and his dog have a gunshot to the head, Mm -hmm. and they find a revolver with him. And I was, like, kind of vague, like, does it, because, I mean, did he kill his dog and himself? Uh, That's what I think the cops were saying, yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, is the revolver was left there, which is not usually routine in a, a murder. Right. Um. So, uh, Keith, like, he goes around telling literally everyone he crossed paths with that he's going to go climb to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is literally what I had in my, pictured in my mind when I was riding the bus, that I was just going to tell everyone that I'm riding the bus (laughs) and just to see who who would get creeped out. Um, and, the, of course, the strange thing about this is he begins this climbing expedition at 4 p.m. So it would have been, you know, shy of midnight before he would have actually reached the top of the mountain. And he went up there without any equipment. So they begin searching for him uh, after it's clear that he has not come back. And the search teams, uh, they do not find him even after, what was it, seven days of searching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and what they find, like, some of the clues they're kind of, for them to kind of get an insight into, like, what he may or may not have been up to, is they find the newspaper um, next to his computer where he's writing his book on. And, like, I guess the last thing, he, he left his word processor open. So they're able to read the last bit of his story. So much like the uh, woman who disappeared uh, a couple weeks ago, who left clues in the form of her the novel she was reading, uh, Keith may have left clues in the form of the novel he was writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last words uh, on it were read as followed. Guy Gibson changed into some hiking boots and donned a heavy flannel shirt. He understood it all now and his motivation. Guy closed the door 
then walked off towards the lush, shadowless Colorado forest above. So there was sort of like people reading this sort of read into it that like this may have like perhaps he was, you know, if he was uh, planning on a suicide, this was like sort of not a suicide note, but like he came to the realization he wanted to commit suicide as he was writing the story and he read the, the thing about Tom Young. From all accounts, it doesn't sound like this guy, Keith, was like suicidal or even depressed. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. We we have a lot of people saying that he 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 did not seem suicidal in the slightest, um, and uh, you know, so we don't really like we don't have much to go on that it was suicide, other than our their our shining uh, yeah. <laughs> speculation, um, and you know, it's just but in in. It's just sort of, you know, the circumstances are so strange that you just go around telling people he's going to go hiking up the mountain. You know, it's very peculiar. Like, I mean, all the witnesses that saw him, uh, you know, he wasn't carrying any hiking supplies. Um, You know, so whether it's the people working at the cafe or the two kids that were coming by the store to buy a book on UFOs, um, there's just... uh, you know, it, it was very peculiar, like trying to, you know, no, no one can really sort out what his motive uh, was for whatever was happening. So we don't know if he was just suffered an accident or what. What do you think? I have no idea. I mean, I, I shit, I, neither do I. That's why I was trying to reflect <laughs> you. Like this, this is truly a mystery. Like, yeah, a lot of these, we we get something and we're like, well, ninety. We, yeah, we can sure. surmise what happened, but I don't know. I mean, that's really my running theory: is he just got shininged <laughs> and he got possessed by some weird ideas? Because who goes hiking? Who goes up to start a hike on a, a steep mountain at four o'clock in the afternoon with no supplies? I mean, right. it seems like he kind of just had some break from reality. And so, whether or not his intent was to commit suicide, yeah, I don't maybe, know. Maybe, yeah, maybe it was just like he got really into this like novel he's writing, where like he began to, you know, I mean, because he became obsessed with Tom Young, so like maybe. You had some had that like working its way into his mind, and he just like he saw that newspaper article. Maybe he just figured he was just going to go up there, hike around for a little while, and get a sense for what was going through Tom Young's head at that time. Uh, and he was going to c- come back and continue his story, but something happened. Well, you would be shocked at the number of people that have to get rescued out of the Grand Canyon every year because they start the descent in like flip flops with a bottle of water. So, oh, I would not be surprised. <laughs> the slightest so, I think sometimes men, especially, they get a wild hair and they unintentionally find themselves in some very dangerous circumstances they can't get out of. And considering how steep and thick the terrain was in this part of Colorado, where they weren't, I mean, they, the rescue team said that this is like trying to find a needle in a haystack, but the haystack is completely vertical. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he might have just wanted to go out for a stroll in the woods and got disoriented and that was that you know crystal he doesn't need to ask for directions he knows <laughs> where he is. 
<gasps> oh, yeah, this is a true mystery. We have no idea. There's no update. So. Yeah. Well, um, if you want to get in touch with us, we are at reenactedpod at twitter.com. We also have an email address. We love, 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 love hearing from you. Uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, you want to say hey or just tell us to fucking stop podcasting, um, you can reach out to us at reenactedpod at gmail. Robbie, we still have a Facebook page, yeah? Yes, we still have a Facebook page. I try to remember to update it, usually within a day after I've updated our Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's that's it, right? This is the end. Yeah, uh, there's still, I think, a few slots available if you're interested in winning that uh, coupon. Oh, yeah. Leave, yeah. Us a, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Leave some kind of identifying information like your name. And once we yes. get... Screenshot the review, send it to us something. Yeah, let us let us know. And then once we hit 25-star reviews, we're going we're gonna to do a random drawing and send you a autograph a piece of memorabilia from the... Uh, from the nineties. Uh, yeah. And, or leave us a five star review anywhere that you can do that. Um, you can put some flyers up at your college reenacted pod, five yes. stars, um, phone a friend reenacted pod, five stars, mm -hmm. uh, leave us an Amazon review. If you can, uh, we're not a thing you can buy on Amazon, but that would probably help. Uh, so yeah, that's what Robbie, you want to, you want to do the thing? Yes. <clears throat> Tonight. We have seen four stories without endings. Four stories in which ordinary people have been thrust into the center of an unsolved mystery. Perhaps someone tonight can help us. Perhaps they were watching. Perhaps it was you.